For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt. I get to work with the college students here at UCC. Um, and if this is your first time, I want to tell you a little bit about AFC and what we believe in. Uh, first and foremost, first we believe in small groups. We believe in making a big group like this more with guys and girls small groups. On Monday nights, the girls, they meet here at 7 uh, in the AFC lounge. The guys at Taylor's house and there's instructions how to get to his house um, back there. We think those are really essential to get you plugged in. Uh, secondly, we believe in going to coffee. We and coffee dates and mentorship and discipleship and one-on-one -on -one stuff. Um, I loft that out there every week, um, and I, I hope you take me seriously when I say that there's really people in this church that want to do that for you. Just yesterday alone, we paired up two girls that have um, uh, older women in this ministry and in this church that really want to pour into them. So that's a cool option that we have being tied to a, um, a larger church like UCC. And uh, lastly, we believe in the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is God's inspired Word and that all teaching that comes from it is good and it's relevant for our lives. And even though this book is 2,000 years old, we believe that's never more relevant than it is today. Now we know that um, having a biblical worldview and believing in the things, the teachings of Jesus, um, that can be hard sometimes at a campus like New Mexico State, at a campus where uh, not everybody shares your beliefs. That is why we also believe in Wednesday nights and we believe in Sunday mornings and we believe in being shoulder to shoulder with other believers that are fighting the same fight that you're fighting. And so with that being said, um, tonight we're going to go to Scripture. And we're going to look at a common thread that's throughout Scripture from uh, the beginning of the Bible in Genesis uh, to the end in Revelation. There's a common thread that we're going to talk about tonight and that's sadness, that's sorrow. A more uh, accurate biblical term for the word would be lament. Now if you're sitting there thinking to yourself like, man, why well, pick the picked a crappy night to come to church. We're going to talk about, going to talk about grief and sorrow and stuff. Um, I actually hope it does the exact opposite. If there's anything um, that the Bible does, even though it talks about grief and sorrow, all throughout, it offers hope and it offers a better way. And so we want to look at that a little bit tonight. Um, if this is one of your first church experiences or maybe you grew up in a, in a different type of church, I hope what this does is it debunks the myth that we're um, some holding kumbaya, worship-singing Christians um, that are ignorant to the problems of the world. Um, atheists and non-believers, they, uh, they would use the church uh, and say that we're a group of people that are ignorant to the problems of the world because of false hope we find in the God. Now, I would offer the exact opposite and say that some, a church that truly teaches the Word of God and an individual that truly studies and knows the Word of God knows that sadness and sorrow and grief and the problems of this broken world are littered throughout Scripture, and we are aware of it, and we handle it appropriately. Uh, so tonight what we want to do, we want to do three things. First, we want to recognize brokenness. We want to recognize brokenness in this world as a real thing, a real thing that we have to deal with and we're not going to ignore. Secondly, what we want to do is we want to look at the history of God's people through the Word of God and how they handled lament and how they handled sadness and sorrow and the hope that comes from that and some of the stories of grief and, and, and getting through hard times that we find in Scripture. And lastly, what we want to do is we want to do some, some soul searching tonight. You have some papers on your seat, and hopefully they make sense more towards the end of the sermon, and it will tell you what we're going to do with them. But tonight we're going to look at things in our life that are hampering our relationship with the Lord? What grief, what sorrow, what struggle do we need to give up and do we need to leave on the cross tonight? If there's one characteristic of Jesus that might be ignored by a cartoon or a History Channel special, it's that he didn't always have this smile on his face and this hop in his step. He understood the brokenness of this world and that's what we're going to try to understand tonight as well. So the first way we're going to do that is through a video. Um, that's going to introduce um, suffering. It's going to introduce a question: uh, Why sadness? Why brokenness? Um, why 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 illness? 
And uh, the, a lot of you might have seen this video before. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll warn you, it, it's pretty emotional. It is. But I want you to, which, what I want you to do is listen to the, uh, listen to the voice of the, the father who narrates this and see how he finds the character of God revealed through, through his story. Dear Elliot, right now you are two months from being born. We just found out that you have trisomy 18, also called Edward Syndrome. Doctors tell us that you won't likely make it to birth. Your mom and I are praying against that. We're praying for healing. We are praying for nothing less than a miracle. You're our first child, and the day of your birth couldn't come sooner. Dear Elliot, you were born today weighing in at six pounds. You are already a miracle to us. Your mom is doing well, and it looks like we'll be hanging out here at the hospital a little longer. Dear Elliot, today you turned 11 days old. We are so proud of you. Today we celebrated your 11th birthday. In fact, we do that every day at 4.59, the time you were born. Dear Elliot, we've been home for a week now, so that's why you don't see your nurses anymore. It's great to have you home. Today I think we'll pack up everything and take our first venture out for coffee. Dear Elliot, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're connected to some tubes. The doctors say we have to keep these in so you can get oxygen to breathe. You are also fed through a feeding tube. We feed you every three hours and it takes an hour and a half to do it. We've loved learning how to best take care of you. We love it. Lots of people email, call, and send cards on your behalf. You're well loved. It's 11 at night right now and my feeding shift has just begun. Mom is asleep and the best part of my day has begun. My shift ends around 4.45 a.m. when your mom takes over. She cherishes her mornings with her boy. Today you turn one month old. I didn't know if I'd ever get to say that. To top off the day, 20 friends showed up at the door for a true surprise birthday party for you. They sang, brought balloons, and a birthday cake. It was beautiful chaos. At 2 a.m. this morning, your feeding tube came out. We had been warned this may happen eventually. We quickly realized we did not have a stethoscope, which was necessary to replace the tube. Since our neighbor was a nurse, I went ahead and knocked on their door at 2.30 a.m. They found their stethoscope and your mom went to it. After much wrestling, praying, and your tears, the tube was down and you were able to feed. Just so you know, your mom is my hero. Dear Elliot, you now weigh seven pounds, three ounces. You're growing and your food has been bumped up because of your good appetite. You continue to find new ways to steal our hearts. Dear Elliot, today marks two months of your life. Your mom and I are so thankful we know you. We know your face, your noises. We know that bath time and massage are your favorite daily activity. You finally learned how to suck your thumb by yourself. Because of trisomy 18, you were born with clenched fist and being able to do this is actually quite difficult. Way to go, son. Dear Elliot, we celebrate your birthday every day with a picture. Lately, we've tried to get a bit more creative. Dear Elliot, I realize you can get frustrated with your tubes and your frequent congestion. Please know that your mom and I are doing everything we can to make you comfortable. Dear Elliot, well you tipped the scales today at eight pounds, 14 ounces, quite an accomplishment. You also have managed to grow a pretty decent mullet. 
Dear Elliot, we all got to go to a reunion at the hospital. I've never seen your mom more happy. The joy she felt getting to show off her son can't be described with words. In fact, she compared it to the way a mother would feel when her son becomes president or wins a Heisman or develops a cure for cancer. The logic of medicine says you shouldn't be alive, but you are. You are such a fighter. Dear Elliot, you have now passed the three-month mark. You also got your first cordless pictures taken today. No feeding tube, oxygen, or stickers. This was no small accomplishment, but we got it done. Have I told you lately that we are so proud of you? Dear Elliot, today you went to be with Jesus. An underdeveloped lung, a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that placed faulty information into each and every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take a lowly thing in the eyes of the world and show truth. At your funeral, we released 99 balloons each balloon representing a day of your life. How beautiful it was to watch, how quickly they were gone. And so today, we celebrate. Elliot, you are well, and although we miss you more than we can express, we're only separated from you by our time left on earth. See you soon, son, mom and dad. I, uh, I do. I, I love kids, and I have a, a great excitement about being a dad one day. And so when I see a testimony like this, I see a man that finds, uh, finds a character of God revealed in sadness like he must have suffered, um, I hold his testimony in some of the highest of regards. Um, just by the nature of my job, I know a lot of your stories in this room. I just get to hear about your lives. I get to take you to coffee. I get to hear about uh, things that you're going through. And um, not to underplay any of that, but it's hard to find too many more stories in this room um, sadder than the, uh, the thought of losing a child, the thought of leaving a child leaving earth before, before you. Uh, so the question is, why? Why brokenness? Why does a little boy like Elliot uh, even have to be brought into the world at all to show the character of God? And you know what? It's a fair question. So tonight, what the idea is, is we don't want to be scared to ask God why. We don't want to be scared uh, to go to him in our, group, in our grief. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says this. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We're made this promise that when sadness and grief is even too much for us to handle, that our groanings are taken as prayer, that he understands our heart uh, to that extent. Now, uh, a distinction needs to be made here that although it is okay for us to say, God, why, and cry out to him in our grief, one thing that is not okay is to doubt his plan. James 1, 6 through 7 says, 
But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So this whole asking God why versus doubting idea is something that, uh, something that we could definitely struggle with, but Scripture's kind of clear on. Now, if I were to read the second part of that Romans verse, uh, the most, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Romans 8.28, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So if we keep that in mind, and we keep that, the, the idea that brokenness is something that's going to happen, but this promise of good for those who love him is something that is promised to us as well, uh, it becomes easier to not doubt. The, uh, the Bible is full of other examples of how sadness and grief um, create a reason to cry out to God. Just a brief example or brief uh, theology lesson in the nature of God and, and his people. Um, first, God created man, and he gave man free will and the option to either love him or rebel. Uh, secondly, man messed up. We know, thirdly, that God's going to come back and he's going to restore this world. We know that he's, um, through heaven and through his presence, he's going to restore us. But that means that the fourth thing that we know about the character of God is that this present situation that we're in, this broken, sinful world, is temporary. It is absolutely temporary. Babies dying and war and the racism that we saw in the southern part of our country this year, or the, the ISIS killings that were, that were in the media a, lot, a couple months ago, uh, these are all temporary things, a result of sin, but very much temporary. The history of God's people uh, in the book of Judges, for example, is this thing called the circle of apostasy, and this is the nature of man. And it's a, a big word for pretty much saying uh, we keep messing up. Circle of apostasy, apostasy in Judges, it'll start like this. It'll say, um, for the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then you, you move down a little bit, and uh, maybe they're put into cap captivity or things start going bad for those people. The third part of the circle is uh, they cry out to God. And the fourth part is God restores them. And that's just the circle and the nature of man that we're going to see um, from the time of the judges till now. Now tonight what we're focusing on is that, is that third part, the crying out, the restoring nature of God and the promises that he gives us. One of the, uh, one of the most prominent examples of laments in the Bible is actually the Psalms. Now, if you think of Psalms, um, sometimes you think of like, uh, God is my refuge, God is my strength, uh, in him I trust, or he lays me down by green pastures and still waters. I mean, those are, those are Psalms that we commonly think of, but um, did you know that one-third of the Psalms, 50 of them about, are lament Psalms. They're sorrowful songs. David was this, David who wrote most, a lot of the Psalms, he was this man who, uh, for, the, for the early part of his life and for his, his reign, he was, being, he was being chased. He was being, he was being uh, people wanted his life. He had many, many enemies that wanted his head on a platter. Now, uh, we see one of, the, one of the more dark laments in Psalms, in Psalms 88. Now, David isn't the author of Psalms 88. Um, but the author is somebody who would not get on a pulpit like this, and he would not um, preach to you about the prosperity and the, and the goodness of things in the world and, and how the grass is green and sunshine and rainbows. That's not how the author of Psalm 88 would write. Rather, the author of Psalm 88 would get in a more lowly place, a, a, a place of despair, if you will, and, uh, and he would read... 
he would read something like this. Now I'm going to read out of the message version of the Bible, and no, it's not a perfect translation of the Word of God, but it does use modern words, which we use a lot of times. So I hope by using this version, you might hear something that has come up in your life. You might hear words that you've uttered in the past weeks or months or years uh, when dealing with grief. Now don't try to follow along. I'm going to jump around in Psalms 88 a little bit, but I just want to get you a taste of some of the grief that is in the Word of God. God, you are my last chance of the day. I spend the night on my knees before you. Put me on your agenda. Take notes of the trouble I'm in. I've had my fill of trouble. I've camped on the edge of hell. I've, ri- I've been written off as a lost cause. One more statistic, a hopeless case. Abandoned as already dead. One more body in a stack of corpses. I'm standing my ground, God, shouting for help. At my prayers every morning on my knees each daybreak, why, God, do you turn a deaf ear? Why do you make yourself scarce? For as long as I remember, I've been hurting. I've taken the worst you can hand out, and I've had it. Your wildfire anger has blazed through my life. I'm bleeding black and blue. You have attacked me fiercely from every side, raining down blows till I'm nearly dead. You made lover and neighbor alike forget me. The only friend I have left is darkness. That's a dark, dark psalm. The only encouragement that you could have possibly pulled from that is the idea that um, somebody in the Bible might be going through something similarly to you, that you would have used words like that, but that doesn't exactly end in this upbeat uh, message of hope. Now that is just one psalm, that is just one example of a psalm of despair. Uh, Another example of laments in the Bible comes from a book that probably is ignored a lot of times, but it's the book of Lamentations. Uh, Lament, Lamentations, kind of goes hand in hand. Now, uh, the book of Lamentations is about God's people when they've been sent into exile. Uh, Jerusalem, their, their, their hub of their life, has been ransacked. Their temple has been destroyed. Everything that they've known about life has been, has been utterly swept out from underneath them. So Lamentations, the first three chapters, they start similarly to Psalm 88. How lonely sits the city. She weeps bitterly in the night. The roads to the city mourn. Her foes have become the head of her. All her people groan. From on high he sent fire. You see, it's, it's very similar, this, uh, this message of despair, that, that we're in a broken world, that these people were in a broken time. Um, but the story of Lamentations uh, begins to take a turn, and I think what Lamentations does is encapsulate kind of what the whole book of the Bible is actually about. Yes, we are in a broken, messed up world, but there is hope that is offered. Now, the hope in Lamentation starts in chapter 3, verse 21. He says, but I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So what he's saying is, I remember, I remember. And then he leads into some of the most encouraging verses that the Bible has to offer throughout the courses of Scripture. They're on the screen right there with me. Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to see those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. The rest of the book kind of has that same tone of optimism throughout. Uh, Although in times of trouble, this person, this author remembers the promises that God has made and the promises that that he will come through with. The character of God, the nature of God not changing, the things that happened on that cross, 
are not changing. And so tonight, that's what we're going to finish with. We're going to finish with the cross. Now, most of you know what the cross represents, right? The cross represents the piece of wood where Jesus went to die. The cross represents um, where our sin went to die. The cross represents this place where we can take things and we can leave them there. Actually, it was on the cross um, that Jesus actually quotes a lament psalm. Psalm 22 is very similar to Psalm 88 in that it has an undertone of sorrow. When Jesus, in his last breath, dying of suffocation, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understands in that moment that we're going to have brokenness. We're going to encounter brokenness in this world. He had to live, he had to live through brokenness. But what Jesus also understood is that there's something better to come. The reason Jesus had to live through brokenness is because what he did on the cross is what gives us the, uh, the opportunity to have a relationship with him. So tonight, the question becomes, what is truly keeping you from a relationship with him? Be it sorrow, be it a sin struggle, be it grief, be it broken relationships, whatever it is, what is keeping you from fully enjoying a relationship with God here on earth? Uh, you know what, I, I personally, I needed tonight. I needed an opportunity to soul search and to see what it is that's keeping me from fully enjoying the benefits of the cross. I needed it. And so what we're going to do to finish tonight, I know it's a kind of a short sermon by one more reflection time. Uh, we're going to play a recording of a song. Um, it's a new Chris Tomlin song that kind of plays some of these undertones that we have tonight. And uh, what we're going to do during this time is we're going to take these pieces of paper that we have and we're going to evaluate. We're going to evaluate what is it exactly that's keeping me from it. Now, don't write your name on this, because um, what I want to do is I, wanna, I literally want to take these things that are hampering us from a relationship with the Lord, and I want to nail them to the cross. So during this next song, I ask that you pray. I ask that you uh, listen to God, that you reflect, that you try to um, hone in on the things that are really hampering this relationship. After, uh, after we play this song, the praise team's going to come up and we're going to sing two more. Uh, we're going to sing two more songs to take us out of here. Um, and as you feel called during the recorded song or as you feel called during the, the praise team, uh, go nail yours up. We have hammered nails right there. Um, fold it up, nail it on the cross. Uh, during the worship time, if you need to come back and pray with the staff, we're going to be back there. We're going to be back there. Uh, if there's one thing that I know about the Christian walk, is that we all have a past. Past, past is, a, is it's a given, all right? But one thing you don't have to have as a Christian is baggage. Baggage stays on the cross. So whatever it is tonight that is baggage in your life, write it on that card. Write it on that piece of paper, and let's leave it there tonight. Let your past be a testimony, but let the baggage stay right there on the cross. And when we see all those pieces of paper nailed up to the cross, we're going to have this vision of uh, the promises that God has made us, the hope that Lamentations finishes with, the hope that's the reason why Jesus died for us. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that, God, we thank you that your word is not limited to uh, sunshine and rainbows. God, we know um, just from living here for as long as we have, this is a broken place, God. That sin has infiltrated this world, and we also know that the truth of your scripture is that you're coming back, and you're coming back to save. 
God, tonight we want our relationships with you while we're on the earth. We want them to flourish. And so whatever it is for uh, individuals tonight, I pray that um, some reflection is done and that you highlight in our lives the things that are keeping us from fully uh, realizing the benefit of your love here on earth, us here on earth. God, I thank you for this group of believers. I thank you for shoulder to shoulder with those who uh, fight the same fight as myself. God, I pray that um, we can grow ever closer to you uh, by coming to your cross tonight. In Jesus' most precious name I pray, amen.